Welcome to the Best Place to Work podcast, where we promise actionable tips from real business leaders on building amazing work cultures. Not tips from Google, but tips from the trenches of real-world businesses just like yours. On this episode of the Best Place to Work podcast, I got to hear some insights from two co-founders, which is always fun to hear a balance of perspectives on the same company. I chatted with Ted Rubin and Todd Smith from Active Engage. Uh, It's a fun episode with lots of little nuggets of wisdom that they've learned the hard way, building their company up to 160 people, which it is today. Listen in. All right. Um, Today we have Ted Rubin and Todd Smith from Active Engage, which is an automated live chat software for the automotive industry. Um, they started in 2007. Um, they have 160 people. Um, they're in Orlando, Florida, and their awards include Orlando's coolest companies to work for, top 100 companies for working families, um, among others that I'm not including in this list. But uh, hey, thanks for being on the show, guys. Hey, thanks, thanks for having. Us. Thanks for having us. So tell me a little bit about um, how the company got started and why you guys started Active Engage. Uh. Well, we just we both had been working in the automotive industry for a really long time, and we had uh, been doing a lot of things that were new uh, in the early and mid '90s. Honestly, that had to do with e-commerce and leveraging digital technology to be able to market directly to customers. Um, and we saw this kind of niche in the market where um, we had been consulting for dealers. Uh, and for other companies outside of the automotive industry for quite a long time, actually, trying to help them understand how best to communicate with customers. And we would be in and out of stores a lot and in and out of other companies a lot, uh, consulting and showing them how to accomplish that in a successful way. And it was very redundant. We were going back to the same companies over and over again. Um, When we saw this particular niche, um, which was the ability to engage customers digitally over the web, um, directly through the website, which was really just acting as a billboard as opposed to a storefront at that particular point in time, um, we found that we were able to engage them and we could actually do it ourselves with our personnel here. There were a lot of other points of communication that that wasn't really possible for uh, because you would have needed to be in the location or at the actual location where the vendor was. And um, this was something that we could do on their behalf and we could leverage all of the techniques and technology and interpersonal communication standards that we had been teaching for a long time to be able to be very successful doing it on other people's behalf. And we've actually, you know, really evolved that with this company, the, the where we are today, even compared to where we started, as far as the quality of communication and the level of conversation that we're having, um, we've very specifically, specifically moved to evolve that to a very, very high standard that, uh, you know, has a very high rate of return. Right. So how many, you know, Explain to me a, a little bit about how the size has grown of the company since you guys started till today. I mean, was it kind of slow at first and then you guys had a big a big bump or um, was it slow and steady well, through the last like 10 years? You know, it's a good question. You know, if we look at growth of any company, we've been a fastest growing company on the Inc. 500 multiple years in a row. So more explosive growth. But, you know, we had that great opportunity to start the company at 
literally probably the best time in the world, which was the end of 2007, beginning of 2008. When, Not the best time for anybody. Well, no, no. Yeah, well, I would say the best, the, the best time in the world. I mean, massive, uh, basically financial bubble bursting, real estate plummeting, car sales dipped to the lowest in history, uh, bankruptcy of General Motors, bankruptcy of Chrysler, uh, for, forced to leverage all their property to raise cash. Uh, to stay in business, um, awesome time to start a business. And, you know, we looked at it as, at that moment, we knew the smart dealers would continue to market. Uh, they were our target clients. Uh, Ted and I had tons of previous uh, dealer friends uh, who trusted us with previous products. So we were able to kind of go back to them uh, that we knew that were sharp marketers and they would market through the tough times instead of retracting like most businesses do. Uh, we always say that, you know, smart money goes in when there's blood, right? And right. for us, we were able to kind of capitalize on that. So we grew uh, well in 2008, 9, 10. And then, you know, the market started coming back uh, after that. So we kind of had that explosive growth that kind of really got it. And then we just kind of hit a pretty steady growth that we controlled. And a lot of, I think, why that happened was since we're not funded by VCs, where you don't have tons of capital to just go crazy, you kind of have to grow as your cash flow dictates. So yeah. you kind of, you have to manage those two sides very critically. Uh, to get the most out of your business, because if you overgrow, then you run in a red, and if you undergrow, well, then other competitors could you know, take you out in the marketplace. So we kind of always were able to just kind of balance that seesaw uh, and allow us to grow as fast as humanly possible without raising additional outside capital um, and still meet the needs of the market. I think at the end of the day, uh, our business didn't need massive outside funding to go get super penetration amongst uh, auto dealers. We were able to do it with our existing network connections, uh, relationships. Um, and, you know, as Ted and I always said, if someone just gave us $10 million, we wouldn't know what to do with it besides put it in the bank. Uh, it would be, we just wouldn't know how to spend the money uh, because we just don't need it. <laughs> so I think for us and growing the business, you know, we've had a lot of up years. Um, you know, we've had a couple more flat years um, just as marketplaces change, consumer needs have changed, uh, dealerships demands on what this product should do are changing. And, you know, we're balancing all those things as they are happening in real time. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, I think that that is a totally different world of, of kind of bootstrapping, like you guys are talking about or organic growth and having outside investment, which is interesting too. And, and how that affects like the people that you hire, um, even growing people inside the company. Maybe you talk a little bit about that and, and how you guys have managed the growth, obviously going from zero to 160 today over a 10-year period. I mean, you're having to, to, to start to build middle layers of management and that sort of thing. Um, talk to me a little bit about how that's changed over time and as you've grown the company. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things for us, you'd be surprised how flat we are organizationally still. I think there's also a big difference. When you raise outside money, you tend to just go get the best and smartest people and you kind of lump them in and they have to fight and learn to kind of work together. And that sometimes can work 
and sometimes creates all kinds of battles inside organizations. For us, we had a much more organic approach. We hired a few key people uh, kind of towards the beginning of our journey uh, that have really developed into strong leadership positions inside the company uh, and really kind of what I consider built and grew our tribal knowledge to a much better level than just an assembly of MBA type super graduates. So like our head of our customer service and our chat representative, you know, we knew her before uh, we ever started this business and we actually poached her from Mazda. Uh, she was a regional uh, e-commerce director for Mazda North America. Like we knew the key people that we wanted to have on the team. Our head of sales uh, had tons of industry as well. Uh, we wanted to kind of grab people that we felt were going to add to the team, could grow with the team, and ultimately build positions that maybe they just didn't have the skill sets when they started with us. But Ted and I, I think we're pretty good at sniffing out talent that we knew would develop into the people we wanted organizationally. And I think for that, we've always kept that mentality of keep things flat. You know, there's not many layers between us and our chat representatives, which are the engine of us organizationally. Uh, Ted and I still go in, you know, every new hire class, we meet every person that's hired at this company. And, you know, that's probably rare for most you know, leadership to go in and actually meet the new hires. But for us, it's critical. We want them to know that there's there's really no, you know, super hierarchy between us and them. Uh, I think the other reason we're that way is we are bootstrapped, right? So we just don't get to have extra bodies sitting around on payroll uh, that aren't efficient for us organizationally. You know, there's there's something to be said about being lean and mean. And I think that is something that Active Engage has been since day one. Yeah, I think that the, just to add a little bit, I think that you know we're required to find significant efficiencies because you know our goal has always been to grow as fast as we possibly can, um, and that's hard to do when you're constantly you know watching the the, the revenue that's available uh, or the the uh, funding the cash flow that's available to be able to do that. And so to accomplish that, you know, uh, just in a little more detail of what he said, the people that we've hired kind of that are the the top end, the, the heads of all of the departments, we've been extremely selective with them. Um, we've really had to find not just people who are qualified for the position, but that have the same ideology that we do, that they kind of look at the world in a similar way um, so that uh, their goal, uh, their, their goal of accomplishing um, uh, the task at hand, uh, is done with the similar culture or assimilation that we're trying to promote within the organization. Even though that kind of takes on its own path after you kind of get past, you know, 30, 40 people, um, and as well because uh, sometimes there's a need to grow. And at the moment that that's happening, especially with a service where you're supplying the service and getting paid you know, as that's transpiring uh, or after that's transpiring, then uh, it's important that you're able to find ways to continually improve and become more and more efficient and effective. And because it was our, you know, we had a particular intention to be the best in class. And 
you know, I don't know that everybody, I know that as a business strategy, that's not always what everybody's trying to do. Some people are just trying to be the least expensive. Some people are just trying to be everywhere, you know, the most dispersed. Um, and others are trying to be affordable, but good somewhere in the middle. We decided that it was most important to be the best that there could possibly be. So that, that lended itself very well to the fact that we were forced to always keep improving, keep finding better ways of doing things. Um, and, and while it's difficult to grow as a bootstrap company because of that, I think it, it forced us to be the best. Uh, that we possibly could be. That was the only way to really absolutely get there because it wasn't just a matter of desire. It was a constraint of, uh, of the physical, you know, cash flow that was available to be able to yeah. accomplish that. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you, you guys said that you guys are a relatively flat organization and you said, okay, we have this mantra of being the best in class. How does that get communicated down just, you know, practically? I mean, is that, um, you, you know, core values? Is that, you um, active communication from upper management to, you know, all throughout the organization. I mean, what, what, what sort of things do you guys do to, to regularly keep that out in front of your team if you do? Yeah. I mean, it, you hit a couple nails, right? It's all of those things. It's I'm yeah. There, there's, there's no one thing, right? I, I think it's a constant connection with the entire staff. We're not organized. Like if you looked at like a typical call center, um, even though we're a chat center, we didn't organize our structure that way with lots of people and just few managers. We run in small team pods uh, with team leaders. Uh, then they have, you know, directors kind of above them managing all the team leaders. And then really you're going to bump heads to the head of the department and, and us. So it, there's really not a lot of layers that we're dealing with. So information can move fluidly between us. So we have leadership meetings every week that that is kind of marching orders that goes back down uh, into the teams. We do a lot of what we call kind of connecting through our culture type events, whether they do spirit week or do things that are engaging everybody and keeping everybody in the habit of constant contact and communication. I think that's important because, you know, a lot of organizations, they just once every so often try to push information down. And a lot of times it doesn't get all the way through only because those channels and habits haven't been created. Uh, so for us, a lot of this has to do with always having a fluid organization that information is moving throughout every part of it uh, all the time. Yeah. And also running both ways. So that has to bubble from the bottom up as well. Uh, so for us, we want to know what's going on. And, you know, interesting point to this. So the last time we redeveloped our software, you know, we do take input from customers, of course, of features, functions, et cetera. But over probably 120 of the enhancements we made came from our staff. Wow. And their thoughts of input, what would make it better? How would it function better for them? Because think about it, we are the biggest power users of our own product. So for us, that was an important thing. And a lot of organizations wouldn't have been able to not only gather that data, quantify it, and then put it into action. But we have been able to do that really not only how we're organizationally designed, but also culturally, you know, how our communication and channels flow. Yeah, kind of culture is a, a contagious thing, too. So we spend a, a, a lot of time and, and we've always done it, but we keep kind of polishing this 
this way of doing things, of hiring people and figuring out how to, not just how to find the best people, but you know, what is the best person for each position that we have available? What does that person look like and how do we find that person? And one of the things that's necessary with that is people who also are you know, interested to be the best at what they're doing. And then the culture, because it's kind of a living, breathing thing, you're taking someone who, you know, potentially could be uh, a gold medalist in the Olympics and saying, okay, we're going to take you out of this high school team and we're going to put you uh, on the Olympic team. And so that desire, that ability to say, look, we can be the best and this is how everybody on the team operates and this is the way to become the best. You know, that becomes contagious amongst the people uh, that are that are here within the organization. And I think that all of our teams and all of our department has, you know, Todd and I gave it a push from the beginning and we still kind of are, you know, way back, you know, somewhere else in the ship that we're kind of saying, okay, well, we're going to kind of have the rudder on this and point it in a particular direction on a daily basis. So we're making sure that we're not getting off course. But I think that, you know, the people who've been here, we have a lot of longevity with personnel. Um, and that becomes more and more important to them, and they deliver it, you know, to all the people that are surrounding them. And it's not just top down. We have we have people that are actually chatting, um, that are in our chat center services, um, which is somewhat similar to a call center. And the average call center employee last eight months. We have people who have been chatting for us for three and four years. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Um, so tell me, tell me a little bit about how. Um, I kind of wanted to ask quickly just how how you guys arrived at some of those things that you do. I mean, obviously, that's going to be an outflow of who you guys are and how you operate. But did you have experiences at previous companies that you either you've started or worked for where that's been done poorly, the culture side? Or have you guys had like a business coach or people that have kind of mentored you along the way and said, hey, here's kind of the the things that we've done and they've worked well? Um, maybe you could talk talk about that a little bit. I think it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it. We, it's we, both again. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. Ted and I have seen a lot of what not to do, leaving whether dealerships, whether large industry providers to auto dealers, vendors. Uh, we've been inside all these organizations and we're like, man, I don't know how they get anything done. And or this, the culture is just terrible. And I mean, people just, you know, they just hate their job. And, and I think for us, when we look at starting a, one of the things we, I think was important that resonated was, you know, we want to be able to come to work each day and want to be there and not just, you know, leave our spouses and, you know, get out of the freaking house. We, we literally wanted to have a place to go uh, where we, wanted to build something, contribute to something, be a part of something, and be enveloped by that culture. So that being said, I think, you know, we've been through a lot of trial and error. We've tried what other people and other companies have done. Maybe we've seen something and we've tried things. But the real reality is nobody fits in your skin like you fit in your skin. And you could go find the best culture piece that another company is doing and try to apply it to your business and odds are it probably won't work. You don't have those people. You don't have the mentality. You just don't have that. Now you can take lessons from these things, but to actually try to lay over something that you saw somewhere else, the reality is that's probably not realistic. You have to develop your own culture in the sense of 
watering it, nurturing it, giving it the love, attention it needs, you know, spanking it when it needs it, and really kind of grow it up itself. Um, because I think every company has a unique identity. It's like a you know fingerprint, and that's part of it is their culture. You know, nobody could reproduce you know Tony Shays and Zappos's culture, and a lot of people wouldn't want to do that, yeah, right? And yeah. you know, other people aren't going to do like Delta's culture. I mean, so I find that there's great examples out there. But a lot of times we look to them and say, hey, I, I, let's do that at our place. But the reality is that's not reality. The reality is you need to have something develop on your own. Uh, but you can take the ideas of others. And I think Ted and I had enough experience, as Ted said at the beginning, you know, not only in the auto space, but outside the auto space, that we we're able to kind of see lots of ideas and bring them back. And honestly, some of the ideas stuck. Some didn't. It's like plants, right? You put all these seeds in the ground. Some are going to grow. Some won't. Um, some are going to be the the foundation of what you ultimately become because they're the right seeds at the right time with the right people in the right environment. So for us, I think a lot of what we've done is being much more conscious of that, knowing that you know we would never take someone else's uh, culture or something that they're doing and try to in put it in here. But what we absolutely do is look for steedling opportunities. Yeah, I think we're, you know, really hyper aware of the, you know, other what other people are doing and other uh, cultural uh, or organiza uh, organizations, cultures um, to get ideas. Um, but it's very, it's, it's very accurate that, you know, Todd saying that uh, what happens here, like you just can't transplant those things. So even, you know, we use those things kind of to look around and go, hey, this is maybe something that we're interested in or maybe that would work here. And but then there's a tremendous amount of discussion about, well, how would we implement that? What would that look like for us? And is this something that's really, we've looked at a lot of things and it's like we look at something else and go, that looks really cool. And we talk about how to maybe do something like that here uh, in our organization. And it, often it becomes something that's, you know, that's going to be diminishing to what we're already doing in the organization or the way that people work. And here's the potential problems for what those things are. We're not, we've had a lot of people come in and say it's a very, you know, it's a very Silicon Valley type of culture and organization the way that we've set everything up. But what's interesting is that, you know, in the average Silicon Valley um, uh, 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 corporation, you know, the average salary is somewhere upwards of $100,000. That's not our average salary here because we have a call, a chat center, you know, like, which is similar to a call center kind of structure. Um, so, uh, you know, the education level and the skill level of a lot of the people that are being employed here is not master's level degrees from college. Um, and that said, we're getting tremendous effort and we're getting very savvy people uh, who do want to work here and who are learning as they're here. And we try to move people. There is a lot of mobility within the organization. One of the reasons that we want to keep the company growing uh, as quickly as it has been growing is because it creates tremendous opportunity for the staff, for the current employees to move into other areas you know, of the organization. When we first started, you know, it was essentially Todd and I and one other person who's still with us, by the way. And, um, and uh, as we've grown, 
I mean, like we grew and it was years before we had a marketing department, before it was more than just Todd. Um, and it was years before we had even, uh, many years before we even had an HR department uh, that was on site and that was part of the organization. And those part departments are now, you know, filling out and growing. They have more people in them. And a lot of the people that fill out these the department says we grow the business come directly from the staff that started, you know, chatting here in the organization. And we're even getting to the point where we've had numerous people who have taken jobs as, as the chat representatives that are ultra qualified for other positions because they want to move into those positions as we grow and they become available. And that's another thing culturally, I'll say this, that everybody goes through our chat training no matter what. Salespeople, you could be a developer, you could be HR, you could be customer service, you could be our <laughs> CFO. Everyone goes through because that's the nucleus and engine. And even if people aren't going to do that job, we want them to know how to do the job and why it's so important to us. Because it's culturally effective. Right. Yeah. And how important it is yeah. to us organizationally. Right. And, and the one other thing I'll just go back, I will say this as an example. Ted and I, um, so we had a company dealer ups, which is a CRM company. And are you familiar with CRMs like customer relationship yeah. management, Salesforce, all that? Okay. So this is a very good lesson that every time a dealer would say, okay, I want the CRM, they would all say the same thing. And this happens probably far outside the car business. Who's the best person using it and what do they do? I want their follow-up. I want their process. And then most of the time, you can install the perfect process, and it fails miserably organizationally. And the question is, why does that happen? And it's a pretty simple answer. It's because the people in the organization that they just put it in didn't have the habits, processes, culture to support it. The original organization had it had all those things, and those things just don't marry over. So it's better to build a process that fits how your organization operates currently, not what you want it to operate in the future. Right. And I think that's, that's critical. And we've learned those lessons, you know, along the way. So. No, I think that's a good point. I think um, a lot of business owners are trying to, to fit, you know, round pegs into or square pegs into round holes with saying, Hey, we want to adopt, you know, the Zappos mentality, like you mentioned, or something like that. When, then there's there's almost a net negative effect because they're trying to force something that's countercultural right. to their existing team, right? Yeah, exactly. So. And I think of any business owner is best to learn your culture, learn what drives you, and then learn how to accelerate it. Yeah, yeah you have to case. understand right. that just like every person, you know, every company is unique. And you're not going to be able to just go, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be just like Todd, or I'm going to be just like, you know. Just like you, Michael, I, there's no, you just can't change an entire personality if the core of what you are is something, you know, tremendously different. And so companies evolve that way. You know, the beginning of the company, I think that the, the, the even though it, on paper it looks like we've grown really, really fast, which we have, at the same time, you know, the, the, it's been very incremental the way that we've added personnel to the organization and that's given us the ability to kind of plateau and stabilize uh culturally with the people that work here to understand at any given moment and that's why we're constantly in touch with this uh at any given moment you have to kind of 
take, take stock in who am I at this moment? Who are we as a company? And what are the needs of my people to be able to want to come to work, to be excited about coming to work every day and to getting the most out of them and to having them really be part of a team as opposed to coming to work? The last thing we want to do is hire someone for a job. That, that doesn't, you know, we're a startup and we're bootstrapped. That's, that doesn't help us at all. That's probably the kiss of death. Mm-hmm. You know, what we need is people who want to come and who want to be here. They're, they're, their intention is to work here, not just to have a job or have a job doing a particular thing, but to do it at Active Engage. And so, you know, that's in the, in, in the beginning, in the very beginning, I think it wasn't too difficult because it was about Todd and I and about the other small team that we built around us. And people were excited because they knew all of us. Now, 160 people, not everybody knows who everybody is. Um, we try to make it where everybody is super, super visible. Um, but there's a real need when we hire people and bring people on. You know, they have to be uh, desirous of being part of this team. They have, and not just part of a team. It has to be this team. <laughs> so everything else aside, whatever their background is, whatever their experience is, whatever you know, area of the business that they're in, you know, from development to marketing to uh, accounting, whatever it may be, they have to actually – you know, have a, a desire to be part of what we're doing, to see an end goal, to feel like we're accomplishing thing, things. You know, that's why, you know, I think that uh, one of the big things, um, you know, about we do a lot of philanthropy and other things like that, because people want to feel like they're connected to something that does good, you know, that, that tries to help the community, that tries to help other people. And there's a lot of other things you've asked other questions that are similar to this. Um, so we're kind of giving it to you in a yeah, no, way, maybe, but I mean, it's important to be able to have a lot of those things. Now, maybe if with, we had evolved in another way, not so much, but we found that, you know, our people are really, uh, it's very important to them that we do things in the community and that we do things that they can visibly, visibly see are really helping other t- people and contagious about that. So, uh, you know, so we try to do that. We have basically four charities that we, you know, have committed to in really significant ways, even you know, at the very beginning when we had no money <laughs> and we were still a bootstrap company, you know, that's never changed. You know, we wanted to be a part of those things. So if we couldn't donate money, we donated time and we donated personnel and we were just there to be on hands. Now we do both. But, you know, I think that uh, that that's important so that the people who do work here, they say, hey, you know, I really want to work at Active Engage. And then you take those people that want to be here that are these, you know, gold medal people, these people who strive to want to be the best anyway, you know, and if you can figure all that out and make sure that you're getting those people on board, and certainly we've made mistakes, but we keep learning and evolving, then as you create that team, you know, it's just, it's just an award-winning team. And that's why we have been successful in, uh, you know, winning all the awards that we have for, best places to work and for winning awards that, you know, are for excelling, for growth, for Mm -hmm. monetary growth, you know, and all those things that we have. It's, it's really exciting for us to, to be a part of that. And I think that probably the, the most exciting thing that we, that we get at this point is when we do at 160 people, when we win an award that says, this is the best place to work. I mean, that was, that was probably one of the hardest things to accomplish, I think. Yeah. for us to do, you know, that's, that's really tough to get 160 people to go, Hey, this is, 
you know, my favorite place to work out of all the places that I've ever seen or worked for. That's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's no small feat. And I think that's what, you know, the intent of this podcast is to, is to talk to people like you to say, what are the secrets and how to, how can we help, you know, companies that to get to that point? Uh, we got to take a, qu- a quick break and then we'll be right back and ask you some other questions. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Waypoint. If you want to get your team aligned and you want to go from herding cats to a well-oiled machine, and if you're sick of the annual review process, then check out Waypoint. It's an elegant tool built for leaders just like you to help you invest in your people and unlock their true potential. Head over to waypointhq.com to learn more. Um, so getting back to the conversation here, um, one thing I want to hit on is what struggles have you had or what are the mistakes that you guys have made that um, maybe just sharing those can help others avoid them? So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you feel like you guys have made over your 10-year history? Um, I, I think that one of the – I'll start off you know, saying that I think that one of the – Biggest mistakes, um, you know, or, or difficulties that we had, you know, in the beginning is you can't. It's all along these lines. You can't, you know, you can't force the culture. Um, you can kind of steer it and guide it to a particular point. Um, when when you kind of start constricting it and saying no, it has to be this way, then you get pushback from the employees and you get um, uh, a lot of disenfranchised ideas of, you know, from the people that work for you. And that makes life, you know, more difficult for the people that are managing and more people difficult for the people that are being managed as well. And it, it took a while, you know, to kind of settle into who we were and uh, to understand, you know, the give and take on what that is, you know, Todd talks a lot now about, you know, it is kind of this living thing. You have to really let it go a little bit and you can kind of, it's almost like, you know, going down a bowling alley, you know, that's got the rails on the side where you can kind of kick it back into play a little bit, but it's going to keep going the way it's going to go. And uh, I think that companies that, that don't understand that, that try to uh, restrict it, they're really oppressing the situation and usually making it work. It, it, it looks on the surface like it's a certain way. Uh, and, and we've been involved with this, you know, where it looks on the surface like it's a certain way, but the chatter underneath is, you know, people aren't satisfied or they're not happy with a particular situation. And so you have to kind of grow up and, you know, be adult about it and realize that that uh, y- you can't, there's some things that are just, uh uh, beyond a total control kind of situation, you have to, um, you know, kind of handle things loosely and uh, and and really interact in a in a very significant way uh, to understand what it is that people want and why they want those things. And if you can't supply those things, then there has to be super clarity on, you know, well we can't do those things because of this that and the other and get people on board. It's, it's really engaging them to have them be a part of the ideal, not telling them what the ideal should be. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, point. Mean, yeah. I, I mean, there's lots of things, right? I mean, it's, it's, we're 10 years old. I mean, there's lots of things we've, you know, dropped the ball on, made mistakes on. Um, I, I say the lessons are probably, you know, they're, they're far and wide. The thing that I think I hold, I think we hold pretty true is, not being afraid of failing at something. Um, a lot of times companies start growing and then they become more conservative and they're always shoring up their walls to a point where they don't want to take chances. And I think that 
stymies businesses success. I think for so us, tell me about one of those, you know, those chances that you took that, that was a failure. I just want to get in the nitty gritty here. You know, we really kind of dove into a, an inside sales model, kind of pushing away from our traditional, what had worked um, in a previous company, in a previous company with outside sales. <laughs> Outside sales just seems to work in the car business a lot better than the inside sales system. So we we kind of dipped our toe into it, sort of committed to it, but we saw the outside sales and ultimately it, it never produced the results we wanted. And and but we learned pretty quickly, but we definitely failed at it. And you know, the lessons we learned from it was one, we didn't have we didn't fully commit to it. We just kind of were in it. Uh, two, you know, we tried to, which, you know, this was us taking a chance. We definitely went against the grain um, of what had worked traditionally for our, the previous company. And it had worked up to that point for our company. So we wanted to try to. I don't mean to interrupt you, but what, what was the negative effect like of your team on that? Like, so did, did, you, did you have some um, fallout because of that or was it a, kind of a rallying cry after that to say, Hey, look, we, you know, we, we tried this, it didn't work, but we're going to double down on, on the insides. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The teams became conflicted, right? The inside guys hated the outside guys. The outside guys hated the inside guys. (laughs) We tried to put them together and then that was even worse. It was like, it was like online dating gone bad. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was just it just got ugly. And then we were like, oh my gosh, this is not gonna work. And you know, it, it was a good lesson though of just how, you know, one, you can't force things. Uh two, if you're not fully like you're gonna bet the ranch on it, don't do it. Um, because if you do it anything at half speed, 70 speed, 80% speed, the organization knows it and it'll chew you up. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like our lesson, one of our, our main lessons from it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it definitely caused conflict in our sales channel for a while until we kind of killed off the inside, kind of restructured our outside guys that some of the inside guys actually moved to the outside guys. So, you know, it, it kind of, changed uh for us but you know it's just one of those lessons i I think it's okay to fail uh just you know as they say right fail fast and fail forward right i mean that's the most important thing I, i think that for any business if you're going to go in a direction as i said go all in or don't do it at all and always play to your strengths, not your weaknesses because you'll spend a lifetime in a business trying to shore up your weaknesses instead of doubling down on your strengths Mm-hmm. So focus on what you're really good at. Don't worry about the other shit. At the end of the day, because you, you can't do it all, uh, you'll end up being kind of mediocre at best, you know, uh, and nobody wants, a, you know, I mean, a well-rounded business sounds great in an ideology, ideology world, but the reality is we don't live in that kind of world. So, you know, you look at companies that are, super great. They're really just great at probably one thing, you know, two things max and the rest do they, they definitely have issues and that's okay. And it's good to be good at, yeah. And it's extra good at, right. And and for us, we just went all in on being the best at having conversations online in regard to buying cars, right. Or servicing cars. And, and for us, that was 
the core thing. And anything else played a secondary role for our ability to have effective conversations online. And our numbers prove that. I mean, we have an 80 plus percent conversion rate, 20 some percent of people set appointments in the chat. Um, we're very good at what we do. In fact, our nearest competitor, they won't even, nobody else will advertise their numbers because that's how poor they, poor they perform against us. So we're at 80%. I think our best competitor is probably somewhere in the 60% range. And it's not that they don't want to be in the 80% range, but they're trying to serve lots of masters. And for us, we serve one. Yeah. And that's our ability to have amazing conversations. So I think any business, if, you know, the one key piece of advice, do one thing, do it better than anyone, master the one thing from every angle that you own that thing. Uh, and then all the other things, you know, obviously are important, but own the one thing at such a high level. And, and I think when you can do that, I mean, the world's yours. And like Ted and I, when we started this, trust me, there was many times where like, we need more revenue. Hey, let's do BDC. We can take phone calls or, or, we, can or we can do we emails. <laughs> or, hey, we can consult back to these guys and <laughs> have a whole consulting division, right? We, there was many more channels that we could have made money, but it would it, we would have never achieved our rate of return and results we get wow. conversationally by altering and diversifying. And I, I think that's a huge testament. Um, stay on course, stay to the one thing and own it. I'll tell you, you know, one other thing too, uh, that, that was, I, I, it qualifies, I guess, as a mistake, but, um, or difficulty at least, and this is really common. I've seen this over the last few companies and it took until now to really kind of recognize, um, what it is because this is the largest company that, that, uh, we put together, which is. That, you know, I think that when you start a company, especially if you're trying to do it grassroots and bootstrapped and um, without, you know, extended capital, then you really, you hire people that, you know, are of a similar mindset and you try to hire the best possible people that you can. And there's a lot of times when you're, you know, when we were 9, 10, 11, 15, 20, you know, 30, 40 people even, where you get to a situation where things are going super well, but it's just all hands on tech. And it doesn't matter what your position is, and it doesn't matter what you're doing, that something will happen. And it's like, I, you know, I know that you're, you know, the, the director of finance, but I need you to handle a chat now. <laughs> or, or, you know, I know that you're chatting right now, but, you know, I need you to go and you know, get involved with development. They just need hands on deck to be able to just type what they tell you to type or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And I think that works extremely well if you can have a super cohesive team. But what happens as you get bigger and larger and, uh, you know, you evolve and have uh, really extended expertise that if you, you, you tend to kind of hold on to that where you feel like, oh, well, I can just call all hands on deck whenever I need to, and it'll work. It doesn't work. Um, you have to understand there's a transition point where you got to say, okay, I, it may be an all hands on deck moment, but I need you doing what you were hired to do specifically. Do not get involved in other things because now you're building this kind of house with all these different bricks, and every brick is very specific to the reason that they were hired. And if you say, I'm not going to put that brick in that place at this moment. I'm going to put it over here. Then everything becomes unstable. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, that was a tough lesson to learn. 
um, you know, as we, you know, kind of crossed over maybe like 130, 130, 140 people, which, you know, was, wasn't terribly long ago, where we had to be able to say, look, you know, we just can't keep moving people around just for the day or at that moment, because we need something to transpire at that particular second. There's more benefit to having everyone focus intensely on the thing that they're supposed to be doing, even if that leaves a gap in this one other area. And it's exactly what Todd said. It's not just, you know, as a company, we want to be uh, doing something that is exceptionally, you know, exceptional, um, you know, super good, the best in that area. But all of our people are, you know, we're hiring them because of that specific expertise. So the moment that, you, as you kind of fill out a lot of the gaps and the holes in the organization, if new ones are created, if you try to pull someone and say, hey, fill this other hole just for today or just this week, yeah, it doesn't work so well. <laughs> and it really kind of, you know, changes your trajectory and it's hard to get back on the road, to get back on track, to just be focused on that singular target. And uh, that's a, that was a, that was a, I'm glad that we learned our lesson. I'm glad that we kind of like figured that out. But that was tough to just even recognize that that's what was happening. Um, and uh, we learned it. We learned it well. We learned it hard, but we learned it well. Yeah, <laughs> most lessons <laughs> like that are hard, hard learned. <laughs> um, is there anything else you guys want to add? I think that's a good place to wrap it up. You know where we're at. Um, anything else you guys wanted to throw in there? No, we appreciate the time, and uh, it's always fun to uh, reminisce and you know talk about our trials, tribulations of running a business. That's yeah, it's great. great to be recognized by you guys as well. You know, we really appreciate you know you asking us to be a part of this, and yeah, um, it's thanks for sharing. To talk about the story, and it's it's great for our employees as well. This is the kind of stuff that that they love. So, uh, you know, we really appreciate it. Thank you very much for being on. Have a good day, guys. All right. Thanks very much. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you found the show valuable, please give us some love on iTunes. But if there's any reason that you would rate us less than five stars, please let me know. Shoot me a note at mike at bestplacetoworkpodcast.com. Thanks.